Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the sage himself, the one and only sage, the Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Chris, but we don't have any guests today. No guests. It's just me We're and you. We're by ourselves. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. We're in trouble. Well, everybody else in the office can hear us right now anyway, uh, so probably, it's all good. It's probably. like they're with us. It's like they're in the room. Well, listen, everybody, we have a great show for you. Exciting things. Did you know? Fast news, slow news, Revelation chapter 10, a lot of other great things. But before we get to that, everybody, here we go. Welcome in, welcome in. Okay, so um, really quick, uh, I want to share with you an event that happened the other night. That oh man, what an event! <laughs> we did our roundtable evening uh, of uh, the life of a Jewish believer, and um, we got a taste of what it was like from five Jewish believers. Steve being one of them. Um, another was Mitch Treisman, uh, Fred and Eva Schweig, and then also Lorna Simcox. All Jewish believers who shared about their testimony, what, it, what you know, what 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 it was like growing up in a Jewish home. All of them came from different Jewish backgrounds, um, and uh, and really, you know, what it means to them as Jewish believers to follow the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Steve, what did you think of the evening? I loved it. Such diversity. We had Mitch from New York, from Brooklyn. We had Eva, who's from New uh, Chicago. Uh, Fred, her husband's from New York. Uh, Lorna from uh, from up in New Hampshire, myself from Ohio, uh, different backgrounds uh, from practicing nothing to Orthodox and everything in between to going to Sunday school and Hebrew school mm -hmm. to not doing that much, uh, and it was it was great. F funny, we had the Henny Youngman of one liners, Mitch Treisman, <laughs> he was fantastic, and those old enough to know Henny Youngman, uh, most younger people never heard of him. Uh, but he used to do the Borscht Belt in New York in the Catskills, and uh, he was on Ed Sullivan, and wow. he was a really good comedian. But Mitch kind of has his style, you know, one-liner zing, yep. and and you got to pick it up quick because otherwise you lose it. And uh, and the Schweigs, who who remind me of that painting, as they stood, they don't like to sit, they're healthy. They want to move their body. Yep. And so they look like that picture where you got the farmer with the wife and the the yeah the pitchfork because they're, they're standing so straight and they're great. They are they're so great and great testimony, great storytelling. You know, you made it a point to say at the end of the at the end of the um the roundtable, which it, you know we usually allot forty five minutes for that time period uh, for FOI equip class. But it went clearly into about an hour or so. But at the end, you said, I think we need a part two. And it, you're right, because, you know, we didn't touch into a lot of the the areas of the lives that you all have. Like, uh, just think about Fred and Eva. They they lived in Israel. Their kids were born in 15 Israel. 15 years they lived mm -hmm. in Israel. And Eva came from parents who survived the Holocaust. Yep. And uh, just, gr these are real life things and how God takes real life circumstances and molds them into such a place uh, for such a time as this. That's right. And to think that all of you had your own journeys in coming to faith, and I had mine too, but we were highlighting the fact that you're Jewish believers who came to faith um, in the Lord Jesus, and all of you had separate experiences in coming to faith, and yet here you all are in one location sharing about it. And you've all done ministry with Friends of Israel as well, which is great. So if people want to watch the Roundtable, A Life of a Jewish Believer, you can actually go to our FOI Equip YouTube page. Be sure to subscribe while you're there, and you can watch it. You can. It's about an hour long, and I really think, Steve, the big takeaway is I think a person's understanding of what it means for a Jewish person to come to faith in the Lord Jesus uh, will deepen, and to see the value in it, and and to maybe answer some of the questions that they have about what it means for a Jewish people, to, a, a Jewish person to become a believer. Oh, no question, and we will give new meaning to two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Chris, some people try to behave. Yeah, some. Uh, Mitch was the only one, to be honest with you. But you opened up with the question, oh, in two minutes, why don't you just tell us your little story real quick? And so at the, before we even came on, Lorna Simcox said, I don't think I'm going to have anything to say. I'm worried about, you know, what could I say? I've mostly been behind a computer. Well, she redefined two minutes. Oh man, yeah, to like six minutes. Yep. Uh, so it's a. It, she took seriously that verse. It says a day to the Lord. It's like a thousand years. You know. 
<laughs> a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. No question about it. But it was a great six minutes and it was great overage. Mm -hmm. In fact, I talked to Mitch uh, after it was over to thank him for participating. And he said, you know, I followed the rules two minutes and I was I, I, I had so much more to say. Everybody said more than I said. Yeah. Hey, we wandered around for 40 years. We didn't get our, our meat, so God gave them quail. We we better to have our garlic in it. That's You could hear it in his voice. Yeah, well, I also All heard, of our voices. I think I heard Mitch at the end as we were closing out. I hear him go, how do I turn this thing off? <laughs> it was great fun. Uh, they had a great time. I had a great time. I hope you had a good time, Chris. Fantastic. But time. I think people really, I know that there are people chatting and saying how much they appreciate it. They loved it. They loved the testimonies. Uh, listen, if you want to watch uh, the Roundtable, our FOI Equip class Roundtable, The Life of a Jewish Believer, you can just go to our FOI Equip uh, uh, YouTube page. Be sure to subscribe, and actually you'll get updates on all the new videos that come out, our Jew and Gentile videos, all the videos that we're putting up online, even our Scholar series that we're doing with Peter Cologne and other things as well. So you can check that out at our YouTube page for FOI Equip. Also, just really quick, uh, a reminder that uh, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. We've got exciting an exciting class coming up in March, Steve, with Tom Simcox. He's going to be doing the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so um, that's going to be March 9th, 16th, and the 23rd. So if you want to brush up on your Messianic prophecies or Maybe you've never studied the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. This is a great time to enter into this free online class by registering at foiequip.org. You know, Chris, I have to chime in something a little bit different. You know, each morning I know you've told me you get up early, you go to a sauna. Mm -hmm. uh, and in Yiddish we would say, and this is not the Yiddish word, but it's a schwitz. It's a schwitz like, in there. It's, you sweat. Today is February. It's February. And it's 70 degrees outside in New Jersey. It's Love like it. a schwitz in this room. <laughs> Are you feeling it? I am feeling well, it. Well, you're wearing your sweater. I wore a sweater this morning, not knowing 70 degrees, Chris. It's like... Man, are we in Florida? I'm ready to go to the and beach. And what in the world? In this room, it's like a schwitz, you could not tell you. <laughs> well, I do think our new, um, uh, as what is what does Tom call our refrigerator? Icebox. Our icebox, whatever it is he calls it. Uh, a cooler. A cooler. Um, is kicking off heat, too, when it's trying to cool our stuff. So anyway, it is. it can get a little hot. We're, we're suffering in here for our listeners, uh, oh, for our seven listeners. We're happy. That's right. For all seven of them. But... I got. I just had to say, if I w hey, I wouldn't be Jewish if I didn't complain. Well, I'm going to zoom in to see those sweat beads come down there pretty soon, okay? Well, go. everybody, listen, um, we're going to move to our next segment here because Steve found something great in Did You Know by Emily Stone. Steve, Emily, I don't know what we're going to do when we uh, run out of these things. Well, we, we got a lot segment. of stuff, and that's really good. We thank you again, Emily. Uh, on page 142 of Did You Know, I can't get it for you. I can't get it. For you, wholesale Jew and the ready-to-wear Gentile aesthetic. That's what she writes. <laughs> Wait, this is for the Jew and Gentile. That's <laughs> Wait, is it I can get it, it for you wholesale? I can't get it for you wholesale. Okay. It's, you, we usually say I can get it for you for wholesale. Uh, it says Jews and the ready-to-wear Gentile aesthetic. Okay. So while Jews have been peddling rags and other shmata, shmata is a rag, a uh, Yiddish word for rag, uh, since the days in their shtetl, they come a long way from red tents and red thread, just as their fellow immigrant brethren adopted New World names, customs, and mannerisms, newly minted American Jews sought to look, live, talk, and taste American. Oh, mm. that's really true. My father and mother, first century Americans, their parents came from, uh, they were immigrants, and they wanted nothing to do with Yiddish. Nothing to do, although my, my dad learned it. They wanted no accents. These are your grandparents. My grandparents had the accents, spoke the Yiddish. My father did. My, they tried to get as far away from my... It, it's the opposite of, That's of amazing. today. They wanted to be American. They're, my grandparents told them, you're American. You're Jews, but you're American. You have to look American. You have to dress American uh, with the latest. So that's mm. what she's talking about, just as the... Fellow immigrant brethren ad adopted New World names, customs, and mannerisms. Newly minted American Jews sought to look, live, talk, and taste American. 
on the one hand, the Hasidim clung, clung to styles that hasn't cha- hadn't changed since the shtetl days, uh, while on the other hand, their secularized cousins longed to shed their old world appearance and embrace the style, more or less, the first land to welcome them. Yet what exactly was the style of the land made almost entirely of immigrants? Who could redress this dilemma and dress a nation of people trying to appear as if they were possibly members of the Daughters of the American Revolution? The Jews specifically, the Jewish designers, merchandisers, and retailers responsible for outfitting America according to the way they thought America was supposed to look. Chris, a lot of Jewish people were involved involved in clothing. Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. And they, the immigrants were the ones that influenced who they wanted to be American. So they made American American. So what, what was the line for that again? What was that? It was Jew, uh, something about a Jew and Gentile. So it's the it's the Jews and the ready to wear Gentile aesthetic. That's right. So I'm basically wearing what uh, or our style, our culture is the influence of Jewish immigrants coming over and, and not pushing it, but making it a part of the culture. Exactly. Very exactly. So interesting. So we thank you, Emily Stone, once again. See, there you go. Sometimes you, 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 it's, it's always amazing. If you ever do a history of a city, uh, you know, a major city, it's amazing the influence that the Jewish community can have on a city. When I lived in Dallas, I remember when I started with Friends of Israel, I thought, I want to look in to see if there were any Jewish influence in the city of Dallas. You know, you think down in Texas— it's away from the Northeast, all that stuff, and Jewish cowboys. A hundred. What are they? Guapo. What do they call those? Guapos. Uh, yeah, something, something like, like that. So the. But what was interesting is to find out that it was a. I believe what I remember is that it was a dairy farmer, a Jewish family that had done very well for themselves, and they were influential in building one of the first high-rise buildings in downtown Dallas, which was only like six or eight stories high, but still that was huge in that day, and uh, the influence that the Jewish community had. Even in Dallas, Texas, and it's amazing, you know, what you're talking about is just influence, but it happens in almost every city that you go into in the United States. There's usually some type of Jewish influence that helps grow the city or move it into a new direction. So, no question about it. And uh, look, so many Jewish people on the East Coast, New York, started with push carts. That's what they did. And they took shmatas, which is rags, which is other people's stuff. Maybe made it look a little different, and sold it. And it got bigger and bigger. And if you look at some of the major department stores, if people even remember what they are, they're dying out now. But a lot of them were started by Jewish people. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. All right, so Steve, we're moving into fast news. Are you fast, ready? I You've am, got Jerusalem Post. I, I do have the Jerusalem Post, so let's get the music Here we going. Go. One year of war, almost 300,000 estimated to be dead in Ukraine, Russia. That is, is that, I wonder if that's a combination of Russia and is. Ukraine. Okay. I think it is. Uh, IDF chief says military is committed to keeping out of politics amid overhaul tensions. The new Netanyahu government is overhauling the judiciary and probably even looking at the IDF now. And again, it's that tension of we're going to stay out of it, even though the, 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 the politicians are changing. The things. complaining has just begun. <laughs> Smotrick, Gallant, signed contract splitting authorities in West Bank. Uh, This is interesting, Steve. I'd like your take on this. Lapid, who is the challenger to Benjamin Netanyahu opposition, thanks U.S. Jews for criticism of overhaul, backs talks if coalition halts bill. You know, you're a United States Jewish person. You know, here's Lapid thanking you, but I know you don't think that way, but it's just an interesting thing. Uh, Hey, U.S. Jews have been knocked from Israeli shores, and we've been wooed from Israeli. <laughs> We're like everybody else. When they need you, they need you. When they don't, fat, yeah, get away. Right. Bupkis. You're up, my friend. Ah, U.S. considers release of intelligence on China's potential arms transfer to Russia. Big time. That's from WSJ. This is the Times of Israel. Bank of Israel chief said to warn economic crisis could break out within a moment. And that's because of the judicial overhauls that the Netanyahu government is proposing uh, in the Knesset. Ministers to vote on death penalty for terrorists on Sunday. Okay, this is an interesting one, Steve. Knesset panel okay state funding for Netanyahu's two homes 
and more money for clothes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to love that. Hey, there you go. Clothes. We yeah. just talking about clothes. All right, everybody. Well, that was fast news. We didn't go too fast. <laughs> All right, everybody. That was fantastic, Steve. Thank you very much. I thought we went pretty fast. Uh, I like to add a little commentary. That's a right, bit. a little commentary. We're gonna have to. We're, we have to make sure we do better next time. All right. Well, speaking of commentary, why don't we go to Revelation chapter ten, and we're gonna let the text speak for itself, but we'll add a little commentary here and there. So, Steve, take it well, away. Well, why don't you read the first six, and I'll read the last part. Okay. Let's sounds read good. the whole thing. Revelation chapter 10, verse 1, Then I saw another powerful angel descending from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow above his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs were like the pillars of fire. He held in his hand a little scroll that was open, and he put his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Then he shouted in a loud voice like a lion roaring, and when he shouted, the seven thunders sounded their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was prepared to write just, but I was prepared to write. But just then I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders spoke and do not write it down. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and the land uh, raised his right hand to heaven and swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it. And he said, there will be no delay. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and I will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Mm. Wow. You had an interesting uh, comment that you wanted to make about the idea of this angel and uh, the fact that it was standing. There's, a, there's, there's uh, something to be mentioned about the fact that it was standing one foot in the land and one foot in the sea. Incredible. I got this, uh, uh, which I've quoted before, it's the Life Application Bible Commentary, and it's actually put out by Tyndale, and it's on the book of Revelation. And in fact, there's a menorah. Uh, the menorah that's in the temple is the little picture on the front. And in uh, verse 2 of chapter 10, there's a, a little commentary on it that I thought was helpful, not just for us now, but even getting a perspective when John wrote, mm. uh, because the people uh, uh, would have things in their minds as they, as they read what John wrote. So here it is. It says, Many of John's readers may have immediately pictured the Colossus of Rhodes, a statue built in Rhodes, an island between Crete and Turkey. The magnificent statue of Apollo, the sun god, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It stood about 105 feet high. One foot was on the island, and the other foot was in the mainland. It was the greatest statue ever built in the ancient world. Ships would sail in the waterways between the statue's legs. It was destroyed by an earthquake in two, uh, 227 B.C. The angel standing on the sea and on the land indicates that his words would affect all creation, mm. not just a limited part, as did the seal and trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet from chapter 11, verse 15 would usher in the seven bold judgments, which would bring an end to the present world. When this universal judgment comes, God's truth would prevail. That's mm. a warning shot. It Chris. is, and it fits perfectly with what uh, at the section I ended on in, in verse 6, where it says, Then the angel saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to the heaven, and swore by the one who lives forever and ever, that's God, who created heaven and what and what is in it, that's God, and earth and what is in it, 
that's God, and the sea and what is in it. So again, there's that the angel is attributing to the fact that God is is bringing judgment to everything, both the you know the creatures of the land, the creatures of the sea are all going to be faced uh, faced with judgment coming. And it's also interesting, Steve. I want to talk about the angel that's that's being presented here because man, listen to some of these 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 events that are hap- surrounding this angel. It's, it, it, the angel is wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow above his head, and his face was shown like the sun, and his legs were like a pillar of pillars of fire. And that's when he had the little scroll in his hand. That that reminds me a lot of uh, kind of like Sinai in some way. The pillar cloud 100%. by day, fire by night. You know, the legs a pillar of fire. You know, so a lot of people I know sometimes can interpret this to be Jesus. I don't think it's Jesus. I think it's an angel. I so. agree. I agree. You know, just realizing from a chronological point of view, we're in between. We don't know the exact chronology because we're between the sixth and the seventh seal. And so this is kind of a a, a, a parentheses, if you will, of inserted. And could these things have been going on uh but a little before, is it waiting until the seventh? I think it's waiting till after the seventh. But the the idea is, it's already been bad. Six seals. We remember the four horses of the apocalypse. And let's see, how much do I owe now? You're getting up to like almost sixteen bucks. Now. I, yeah, I think I'm right right around there. So we had we had these these six seals that have been opened. The seventh hasn't. And really, this is a warning. Uh, Ezekiel had a little book, if you remember. Mm-hmm. There was a little book. And uh, now John has a little book. Daniel had a scroll. We've, uh, we alluded here to a rainbow. Wait, that was in Revelation chapter 4. Or go back to the Older Testament text in Noah yep. to look at the, at the rainbow. There's so many allusions to the Older Testament text and to other events that take you place. You call it the Older Testament. You might want to explain that before people go, wait, there's something older than the Old Testament? No, the Older Testament text is older than the New Testament text. And the reason I call it that is because that's because I'm Jewish. That's basically <laughs> why. Because when we talk to uh, a Jewish person about the Bible, and they talk to them specifically about the New Testament, oftentimes it's interpreted to be, oh, you have the New Testament. Our mind's no good anymore. The Jewish Bible's no You Gentiles have the New Testament. <laughs> well, we do have the New Testament, and it's not limited to Gentiles. I believe it. It's written by Jewish people. But the New Testament could never have been written. In fact, probably more than 50%, you can make the argument maybe three-quarters of it, is quoted in the Older Testament mm-hmm. text. So the reason I use that is simply as a habit of reminding that, hey, it's there's the Older Testament, but it's still good, everything about it. And then there's the New Testament. And the New Testament is really the completion of the story that God started off in the book of Genesis. We're in the last book of the New Testament. And Chris, how many times have we alluded to Jewish things? Oh, I love that you said that, because that's really what's happening is, I, I think I had mentioned that I read a a, a, um, a, a commentary when we were talking about this. And let me see if I can find it really quick so I don't do... Oh, here it is. In talking about the fact that there will be no more delay, you know, that's what the... That's what uh, it says here. There will be no more delay, just as uh, he has that seal in his hand. And when he's talking about the fact that there will be no more delay, he's saying that all of the Old Testament promises of both judgment and restoration came to a head at the day of the Lord. So, you know, as judgment is coming, it's also, as as was promised multiple times in the Old Testament. I mean, there it's not just one verse in the Old Testament that talks about a future judgment that's coming. God had announced judgment on Israel and on Judah and on the nations and globally multiple times throughout the Old Testament, and he also promised a restoration that would take place. And so I love what, the, what uh, his name's Craig Keener says here. He says, all of it meets... It's culmination in the book of Revelation here. All of it is finding its ultimate meaning, and then will give way to the coming of the Lord Jesus. 100%. And remember Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. The primary purpose of the seven-year period 
which does include judgment on the whole earth, but the primary purpose is to bring Israel, the Jewish people, to their knees so that they recognize and repent. They recognize the Messiah, they repent uh, and get saved. Uh, it's even better. It's, it's always, now is the time of salvation now, Chris, as you and I are here. This is this dispensation, this period of time. Now is the time to get saved. But even after the rapture takes place, we, we already talked about 144,000. They're going to be preaching the kingdom. It's coming. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a horrible period. People are going to die, but we want them to die believers. Mm -hmm. uh, if you die a believer, you, it, you die. You'll raise to yet, life. But you'll be raised to life. This is the, the, t the clock is running. If you ever watched The Wizard of Oz and the Wicked Witch turn the uh, sand thing over, the time thing. So you only have a certain amount of time. The sand is, by this time, the sand is running out. There's little time. And when that seventh uh, seal is broken, when that, that trumpet sounds, it's going to be really bad. You know, I, I have uh, some friends uh, that are Anglican, and so they were sending pictures of their Ash Wednesday, where they get the ashes oh, yeah. from their head. And, you know, my friend had wrote... Uh, from dust to dust, and I said something back and said, "Well, you you know, from dust to dust, but then you're going to rise again." You know, that's the whole point of the story that we're talking about here. Is yes, you know, you come from dust and you might return to dust, but you're going to come out of that dust again. That's the Jewish hope that's connected to all believers, whether you're Jew or Gentile, if you follow the Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what the story of Revelation is all about: is that God will redeem and resurrect what was broken, and we will all stand before God as well. And so, you know, like you're saying, all those meanings, those Jewish meanings that come from the Old Testament of prophecy work their way into the book of Revelation and find their meaning. Chris, once a person is born, every person who's ever been born will never die. That's right. Never die. The only question is, where is your address? Where are you living? And that's the whole key. God in His grace has sent, we remind all the time, that he sent the Messiah. And we're going to be talking about I, how do you identify this Messiah? Who is this Messiah? We believe, of course, it's the Lord Jesus. And so those who die in Christ uh, will certainly live. Everybody's going to live, but their address will be with him. Mm -hmm. Wherever he is, we will be with him. Those that reject him, they'll be living but they won't be living with him. It's a sad state of affairs. Well, there's a transition that happens here, Steve, in verse 7 um, that you picked up on and going into verse 8, and it says, Then the voice I heard from heaven began to speak to me again, Go and take the open scroll in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. I love these the imagery there. There's John with his huge angel, and he takes yeah. this little scroll. How does, how does he get? I wonder that. What does he climb up his leg? <laughs> how does he get that? And is book? he is the angel holding this little tiny like how tiny a, is it? A little Putzkala yeah. book. <laughs> That's here you go, buddy. So he gives him the little scroll and he said like to him, "Jack and the Beanstalk." That's what I'm saying. I just have this in my mind as image. And he said to me, "Take the scroll and eat it. Uh, it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth." So now, all of a sudden, uh, John is commanded to eat a scroll. And this is actually something that isn't uh, uncommon in the Bible. This isn't the first time this happens. No, we talk about uh, the sweetness of God's Word, the sweetness of God's plan. It go, the, God's Word, in this case, we're talking about ultimate judgment. So it's God's Word. God's Word is always meant to help, to encourage, to instruct, uh, to learn from. And so it, it, it's good. But remember, he's Jewish, so he's going to have stomach issues. <laughs> so what are the stomach issues? Judgment. Yeah. He's, eating, he's eating the Word of God, the sweetness of the Word of God. We know in the New Testament, uh, it's living. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. We know that the Word can do all kinds. It encourages. It exalts. It praises. It also convicts. Mm -hmm. And in this context, the warning is judgment. And so... John has a stomachache. He's going to be sick. Look, if we look at what's going we read the headline about Russia and Ukraine and 300,000 people dead. That's, that's awful. That's the tragedies of war, the difficulties of war, uh, widows and widowers and orphans and 
all that kind of thing. It's it's just horrible. And when we think of judgment, it's coming. And the book of Revelation deals with it head on. Mm-hmm. And so it leaves a bitter, bitter stomach. Um, I'll read this uh, from uh, talking about the idea of the scroll um, that comes again from Craig Keener. It says, this account is actually based on Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8, and Ezekiel chapter uh, through uh, Ezekiel 3, verse 3, where uh, a hand is extended to Ezekiel containing a scroll written on both sides with a message of three kinds of judgment. Ezekiel ate the scroll, which tasted sweet to his mouth, but the message of judgment for Israel, of course, was bitter. And so, again, the same thing. And, you know, I like what you said, too. It's a, I've heard stories, Steve, of people who, you know, go to the Scriptures for answers in life. And what they find is that they realize that they're not in right standing with God. That's what judgment. You realize, oh, my goodness, I have to check, examine my life, and I don't have a personal relationship with Christ. He's, I haven't made him my personal Lord and Savior. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm not worshiping him alone. I don't, you know, I, I don't believe in him. I have to trust in him. And then it says, you know, that through Christ, it's the only way to the Father. Uh, and so you you make a relationship, but a lot of people will just read the scriptures and see that in their own life. And that's what's interesting about the the Bible is that the Bible contains it's a word of life, but it also contains the word of judgment that's in there that can be a bitter pill to swallow that people don't in the culture we live in today, people don't like to hear they're wrong, you know, oh, I'm not wrong. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth, so you can't hurt me because your truth is not my truth, but my truth is not your truth, even though I might force my truth on you. You know, th- so we live in a world where even if, you know, somebody's a- a- offended or whatever, it affects them personally because they don't like to be wrong. But the scriptures constantly are showing us where we're wrong and where God is right and how we can have a relationship with him. Well, you know, in our culture, we have to respect everybody. You have to respect everybody. Their view is their view, and you have to respect that. I've heard that a number of times. You know what the Bible says? God is a respecter of how many? No one. No one. Right. So get off your high horse. You're, <laughs> that's it. He's a resp- So we would say to, oh, you got to respect that. My, you, you said my truth. You know what Jesus would say? I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one goes to the Father. If you want in, you got to go through me. Right. And we're going to have a lot of people kicking and screaming who don't want to do that and will be upset that that's the way. But he is the only way. Chris, remember we did the book of Leviticus. How many ways were there into the tabernacle? There's one way. One way. One door. And you know... One high priest. One high priest, once a year, one day. Uh, and you have to do it that way or you die. Mm-hmm. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. But, you know, I remember doing that, and you and I said, thank God for one way. Mm-hmm. We don't deserve any way. So there was one way to be have atonement back then in the tabernacle and in the temple, but today there's one way for forgiveness of sins for eternity, and that's through Christ. And this judgment is coming, and there's no way to prevent it. There's it, It's coming. And when you read the book of Revelation, it is sweet to the Remember, this is a blessed book. You read this book, you'll get a blessing. But part of this book is trouble, mm-hmm. big-time trouble. Just like uh, Moses' swan song, his last book that he wrote, uh, he wanted to say just a few words, and 33 <laughs> chapters later, he, that you have it. Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30 are the blessings God promises to Israel, if they follow him but then the cursing. Mm-hmm. That's the way it is. Until sin is removed and, and, and we live in the, in the millennial kingdom and ultimately in the, in the new Jerusalem, new heaven and new earth, until that time, there's always going to be the struggle, and there has to be a way to approach God, and it's only through the blood. Again, it's amazing to me that even in the Old Testament, Steve, it's not just a modern issue where we're talking about, oh, your truth is your truth and my... That goes back to the Old Testament. I think about Jeremiah, who's sitting there going, I have a word from the Lord, and it's going to be a bitter word for you. You know, even though God's word is sweet in the mouth, when you swallow it, it goes to the stomach, you're not going to like it. And here's the word for you, Judah. 
Judgment is coming. Uh, we don't like this guy. Throw him in the throw pit. Him, throw him in the pit. Yep. We and, don't like the messenger. Anytime somebody comes with truth, especially from God, even Jesus announced this, you know, a, a prophet isn't welcome in his, in his own home. So there's that, again, that constant idea that, ju- that whenever you speak judgment, it's bitter. But you know what? Some people take it differently. You know, when you, when, when you take it and you understand, oh, I don't like the way this tastes, it, God also gave us a way to have a relationship with him so that we don't face the judgment that's coming. And so that's what this time period is for right now. You know, Chris, we're we're reading this uh, last book in the Bible, Revelation, and we're living on the other side of it. And uh, I always quote my sister, who uh, came to know Christ before I did, and whenever I talk to her now, she's, she's in the world in which we live, the culture in which we live, she just says, anytime she closes, we're done talking. She said, looking up for the catching up. I'm looking up for the catching up. It's not going to be much longer. And really what she's using a little more modern language than what they did in the first century, whenever they departed, they would say, Maranatha, even so, come. There is a, the, the good news now is that, yes, things are they're bleak in the time period in chapter 10 that we're talking about, but there's good news. The, Jesus is calling his church any moment, mm-hmm. any moment from now, and uh, when that happens, we're gonna look. We're gonna look. If I don't even know if we'll get a glimpse of Earth when we're boom in the twinkling of an eye. When we're with them, it's gonna be great. That's our blessed hope. Mm-hmm. And until then, when you get those little moments of revival, like in Asbury, that's right. They're little pictures of hope, even in the midst of darkness in this culture that we're living in. That's just trying to suck us the other direction. There is this this hope that we can see a glimmer of as people all around the country now are repenting, turning to the Lord, asking for forgiveness, confessing sin, all of those things that are often associated with what the prophets talked about with in relationship to judgment. Judgment is coming, but here's a time to repent, turn, and confess, and God will forgive. So. Amen and amen. All right, Steve. Well, that was great. That was Revelation chapter 10. Um, you know, Steve and I were talking before we started the podcast, we went out for lunch beforehand, which we like to do a lot and just catch up. But Steve said, you know, we, we don't have to do an hour for the podcast. And I said, well, it's not like we shoot for an hour. It just, that's what our talking does. How long are we at it? <laughs> well, we're about 37 minutes. See? Uh, okay. Well, we're doing good. Yeah, we're doing good. We're giving people a break maybe today. All right, Steve. So you've got some interesting news. Actually, one that's personal to you. Yeah, that's actually, this is kind of interesting. I was driving home. We had our first PUC, our prophecy up close and we were in Michigan and uh I was driving home and I because I made it as far as Chicago I'm visiting a friend after we were in Michigan so I'm driving home on Monday and it's 4 30 in the morning or five o'clock in the morning we're leaving early it's 800 miles to travel and I see a billboard Chris now I'm old enough to remember where are you when you see this billboard in Chicago you're in Chicago I'm in Chicago I see this billboard. I tell my wife, look, look at that billboard. Now, I, before I tell you what was in the billboard, let me tell you, I got to take you back to 1991. Uh, 19, what, what were you, Chris? Uh, seven, six? I was born in 82. So okay, nine. so you're nine, nine years old. Uh, back then in Israel, there was a movement uh, that said, prepare for the coming of Mashiach, Messiah. Prepare for, if I was in Israel, 1991. Billboards everywhere. Every business in in Jerusalem had a picture of Rabbi Schneerson, uh, who is the Messiah. They were prepare. He's coming. He's who is Schneerson? Just Rabbi explain Schneerson it. is believed by many ultra orthodox to be the Messiah. There's all kinds of things, and he never denied he was. He never said no, and he never said yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he was supposed to at one time make an announcement, but then he had a stroke and he couldn't say he couldn't anything. Say anything. <laughs> so we don't, but we know ultimately he passed away. Rabbi Schneerson, I've always thought of as, was kind of like the Pope of the Jewish world. Ultra-Orthodox Jewish world, mm-hmm. 100%. Right. So uh, I see this, this same Rabbi Schneerson, the same picture from 1991, only this time it says Mashiach, Messiah, is here. Yeah, you, I, got, you got to explain it, this. It, but she, she, I said to Alice, Mashiach is here. <laughs> well, that's Rabbi Schneerson. 
How's it? That was back in 1991. What's going on? Is this um, the image of, you know, growing up Jewish? I, I, I wish that we could describe what Schneerson looked like. I mean, he's just an well, older. Well, you're going to send a link, right? Yeah, people can log on and see. But, I mean, he's just, a, he's got to be, what, 80 years old in this picture? Uh, no, he's in his early 90s. Okay, early look, 90s. Look at this one. He's got, he's, yeah, he's got a. He's got your beard, and he's 91 years old. And he's. Smiling, you know, but still, is I don't, he's got the little hat on. He never pictured the Messiah uh, to come, the Son of Man to come, looking like this, you know, riding on clouds. This isn't the guy I saw riding on clouds. A hundred percent. So, I, my wife is the sleuth. I call it the online sleuth. <laughs> so we're driving along. Remember, it's early in the morning, and I, Messiah's here. What's Rabbi Schneerson doing up there? So she types in on her phone, and she said, "Oh, this is a campaign." So this was in Chicago, but there's a group, Chris, and uh, it's called uh, Gula Generation, an organization of Jewish women based in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, that posted the sign on a heavily uh, trafficked uh, I-95. This is in Miami. The one I saw was in Chicago. There's one in L.A. There's one in New York. Uh, They're putting up posters or billboards that Messiah is here, Rabbi Schneerson, and you just say, what in the world? So uh, she said, this is a new era. This is a spokesman who said, we need to acknowledge that there is a God, that's what she said, in the world, and to strive to keep uh, his laws. He's the creator, and he knows what works. By the same token, Mashiach is not a dictator. He is a king that can only rule when he has the acceptance of Jewish people. That's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. We're you know, in the book of Revelation, all kinds of stuff. Listen, that reminds me of Acts chapter 3, when when all the Jewish people— it talks about the fact that Jesus must be in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and when you repent and turn, you know he will bring in the restoration and renewal— that the prophets had promised. It's very interesting, the connection there, waiting for the Jewish people as a nation to let, Let me just read a few words here. Many hundreds of thousands of Jewish people the world over proclaim daily, long live our master, our teacher, our Rebbe, the King Mashiach forever and ever. Acknowledging the Rab, the Rebbe as Mashiach is based on Jewish law codified by the great sage Maimonides in the 12th century. These laws of Mashiach say that Moshiach must be a descendant of King David, immersed in the Torah and its commandments, strengthening the Jewish people. Amen and amen, right? (laughs) Don't we agree? Hey, no problem. And then it goes on. People are responding to Moshiach is here billboard with much excitement. It lifts everyone's spirit, says Boca Raton real estate agent. When I see the sign, I know the redemption is here, says the mother of three. Uh, Gula Generation is planning to expand the campaign to many major U.S. cities, and then they tell you how to donate. If you want to yeah. put up a picture of uh, Rabbi Schneerson, Mashiach is here, donate here. I like this. It w- this is from another article, I believe, but it says this. It was the Lubavitcher Rebbe's wonderful, smiling face on a huge billboard. The text next to him said, Mashiach is here. Just add in goodness and kindness. There was also a line about the Rebbe being Messiah, which I don't believe, and most Chabadniks don't either. I can put up with that line aside if it means that seeing the Rebbe every day on my way to pi- uh, uh, on my way to pick up. Whenever I see a photo of him, I feel warmth. Going to a Chabad dinner makes me want to convert to Judaism, and Chabadniks bring so much light into this world and are some of my favorite people on the planet. Chabadniks are the people who follow, uh, the- and they are nice people. Yeah, Not many of them are nice, but <laughs> it's it. It bogs my. It just bogs my mind that you would have a Hasidic rabbi who uh, has never been to Israel. His feet have never touched Israeli. In fact, there was a house built for him in 1992, a black stone house, just like one in Brooklyn. He never that he got lived there. In. Nope. He, I, I mentioned it in in the book, Steve. Shameless plug: Israel always. That when you land in Israel. Just right next to the airport is a uh, is a town called Kafar Chabad, which has all these Israeli homes. And then out of nowhere is this brownstone Brooklyn brick home that is uh, in Israel, which just stands out like a sore. Th- Here, it's it's 
Schneerson's home in Brooklyn duplicated in Israel because he's coming to Israel, they believe. 100%. You know, we at Friends of Israel often talk, how would you identify the Messiah? How do you identify? That's fair enough. Believing in the Messiah is a good thing. Uh, not many Jewish people do. So this is good. This, this kind of thing is good talk. Let's talk Mashiach talk. Okay, let's talk Messiah. Let's look to the text. How is he going to come? Those are great questions. Tom Simcox is going to describe all those things. Yeah. Ex oh, great plug, Steve. Uh, great. That's exactly what he's going to say. And I guarantee when you look at the scriptures, it's not going to be a guy who was born in the 1800s <laughs> because he's born past when G Genesis chapter 49 uh, the scepter shall depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. I think he was born in Lithuania. I don't even. This guy wasn't even <laughs> born in Israel, Bethlehem. And I'm not, I don't mean to be mean. He's deceased. He's gone. People are putting their hope in a person who's just like you and me. Mm -hmm. he, he wasn't born of a virgin. I'll tell you that. He, he, there was no sign when he was born. Ah, another baby in Europe. Okay, yep. uh, Hasidic, baby boy, great. <laughs> but not, the description is so clear in the Bible, it's easy to, it's hard to find out who it is. I'll grant you that. But it's easy to find out who it isn't. Yeah, that's right. It rules a lot of people out. <laughs> I mean, the, each sign for prophetically eliminates all kinds of people. Uh, and so it's just interesting. And to the me. the other interesting rub is this: is that in the world of Judaism, if you believe that Schneerson is the Messiah, hey, that's what you believe, but you're still Jewish. But you, as a Jewish believer in the Messiah Jesus, uh, believe he's the Messiah, and then they believe Schneerson's going to resurrect. You believe Jesus resurrected, sits at the right hand of the Father. You kicked out of Judaism. Everybody else who believes in Schneerson, this guy from Lithuania or wherever he's from, they're accepted. Well, reread what you just said. Reread the part where the person who wrote that said, nobody believes this, but I feel good. Do you remember that yeah, part? Yep, reread it. it. I it think says, that's significant. Um, I can put up with the line if it means that seeing the Rebbe every day on my way to, uh, on my way to pick up. Whenever I see a photo of him, um, I feel his warmth. There was also a line about the Rebbe being Messiah, which I don't believe, there and most Abadniks don't either. He doesn't even believe yeah. <laughs> The Sheikh is here? I don't believe it. But you know what? Good to read. Yeah, I like his face. <laughs> I, he brings a smile. <laughs> it's crazy to me. That's a good one. All right, Steve, good find. I know you're going to write an article about I it, too. Am. I am. That's good. That's good. All right, the next one I found recently, which I thought was interesting, Zelensky seeking Netanyahu visit to Kiev. Israeli officials say, I want to lead with this. Recently, Ellie Cohen, who I believe is the finance minister for Israel, went as the first Israeli um, you know, representative. representative just recently, within the past two weeks or so, to Kiev to meet with Zelensky and said to him, hey, look, it, we're not going to give you any any defensive, you know, uh, you know, um, arms, weaponry, yeah, mm -hmm. things of that nature. But, you know, we're going to promise to help with infrastructure. I think he's going to try to raise $200 million or $500 million for infrastructure and to provide other things, humanitarian aid, things of that nature, and promises that when a vote goes to the UN um, uh, for peace in Zelensky's favor, Israel will vote in their favor. Well, that's, that's a big deal. Um, and it's interesting because the question is, well, why won't Israel give the Ukrainians' arms? Why won't they help them in that way? They, ha they certainly have the technology to be able to do it. And, you know, the reading I was doing was fascinating because Israel's kind of in a pinch itself because just above Israel is Syria. Syria is a vacuum for power right now, and in Syria is not only Iran and, of course, Assad from the Assyrian leader, but also Russia. Russia sits right above them, and there has to be some relationship that they have with them to make sure that Iran doesn't become an explosive figure in the Middle East and can stays contained in Syria. So I think they're kind of pressured as well. I, you know, I don't think Israel doesn't want to help the Ukraine. I think they have political situations going on as well. But anyway, this would be a big deal if Netanyahu went to go visit. Oh, yeah. And we just know President Biden was there. And to his credit, he was there to represent America and say, we're with you as the Russians are doing this. And Chris, you and I uh, work with Friends of Israel, and we have a rep uh, who lives in Kiev, uh, not much left of the couple's apartment. And if you remember, a little over a year ago, our first guest live when we broadcast was Tetiana, 
uh, telling us about the early stages of the war and what was happening. Not even that. There was she when she came on that night. The war started. Do okay. you remember? It, it was February. And well, things were tense. Let's they were put tense, it that way. And, but the war had not officially started, and that night it did. So that's right. We that's were cutting edge, Steve. Yeah, we were cutting relevant, edge, and only one or two people were listening. <laughs> that's at right. The time. We we're up to seven now. So <laughs> that's exactly uh, but right. But no, Tetiana. Uh, since that time, Friends of Israel has been on the cutting edge of of bringing in goods. And uh, and f- physical help and with with goods, even driving Jewish people out of the country and helping them make Aliyah to Israel. It's an amazing ministry. So, but it's 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 terrible uh, what's happened. So Israel standing with them. Uh, uh, Biden stood with them, the leader of America. I think it's great. I hope Netanyahu goes I do too. and represents Israel there as well. It says this, the official said that there are currently no concrete plans in the works for Netanyahu to visit Ukraine, which has lobbied hard for Jerusalem to up its level of aid, including providing defensive rep- weaponry. Another Israeli official told the Times of Israel earlier this week that Zelensky is not interested in a photo opportunity with Netanyahu, but would host him if Israel delivers on recent promises for more aid to Kiev. That's great. That's great. All right, let's hope that happens. All right, Steve, here we go. This was a good Yiddish word. Well, I love it when I love it when a Yiddish word ties into the scripture that we were reading today. Well, Chris, why don't you uh, summarize what happened with the little book? What happened in Revelation 10? Well, the, John gets the little scroll and he puts it in his mouth and oh, it's sweet. It tastes delicious. And then he swallows it. And it's like I was a couple days ago. My stomach was churning. It hurt. I got sick. It was bitter. Okay. Well, our Yiddish word for the day actually is a combination of words. Number one, nosh. Nosh. A nosh is a snack. So the little book is like a snack. It tastes sweet. Oh, but it... It did a number, too much pepper, and it killed my so, stomach. So John noshed on We could say the John nosh, but mm-hmm. the actual literal Yiddish word for eat is essen. 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 Mm-hmm. Essen means eat. So we would say to John, essen gesund means eat well. <laughs> oh, is that like um, bon appetit or something exactly. like that? Exactly. Essen gesund. Essen gesund. Sei gesund. Essengesund. Okay, good. And then Nosh is just nosh a snack. Nosh a snack or eat well. Essengesund. Oh, I used to come over to your house all the time and Nosh. Uh, I, I I think I ate you at a house and home you noshing. You know, at Purim, which is coming up, you Nosh some hamantashen. That's right. We might talk about that next week. Maybe next week. All right, everybody. So our Yiddish word of the day is Nosh and Essengesund. Essengesund. That's fantastic. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for another Jew and Gentile podcast. Steve, 50 two minutes. Hey, we cut it short. All right. We're giving everyone six a- people are saying finally <laughs> I have to sit through this the whole time. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us. Hey, maybe next week we'll talk about Purim. That'll be coming up where we'll be reading through the book of Esther. We've got a lot of exciting things happening. Be sure to go to foiequip.org to find out how you can register for our upcoming class, Messianic Prophecies. We've been learning about all of the things happening in the Old Testament that make their way into the book of Revelation. Well, it's important to see how that gets there through our study of Messianic Prophecies with Tom Simcox. Go to foiequip.org to register for that class. And until then, we'll see you soon.